Welcome to episode eight of Fitter and Faster. My name is Emma Kate Liberry, your host and managing editor here at Triathlete Magazine. Today's show is a special one. It's a Triathlete Editor's Roundtable, where I'm joined by our editor-in-chief, Kelly O'Mara, and Chris Foster, our senior editor. Between us, the three of us have more than 50 years of multi-sport experience, and in our work here at Triathlete, we have access to some of the world's best athletes, coaches, and industry experts. In this episode, we talk about some of the common questions we receive from readers, some of the biggest mistakes that we made as athletes, and some common misunderstandings about the sport. We also talk about some of the challenges of triathlon, such as time management, avoiding injury, and nailing your nutrition. All of that is coming up right after this short break. Even though there are very few races right now as triathletes, we all still like to focus on our overall health and well-being. And that's where MitoQ comes in. As with most things in our bodies, our mitochondria become less efficient as we age. From the age of 30 onwards, levels of CoQ10 in the mitochondria can decline by 10% with each passing decade. This means our body's natural resilience also declines, which can impact not just our training and recovery, but also our immunity, digestion, sleep, stress, hormones, and brain power. This is why a new supplement called MitoQ is becoming increasingly popular among athletes. It helps the body to better absorb intense training periods and recover faster. Some athletes have even noticed improved VO2 max, heart rate variability, and lactate thresholds. When you combine that with not needing as long to recover and being able to maintain more intense training cycles, you can see why it might result in real performance gains. To learn more about the unique formula, independent clinical trials, and athlete testimonials, visit mitoq.com. That's mitoq.com. Kelly, Chris, thank you for joining us here on Fitter and Faster. We're excited to have you. It's not often that we all get to sit and talk together. Oh, wait, no, it is. <laughs> <laughs> we thought we'd kick off with some, uh, some of the more lighthearted questions, entertaining questions, such as the biggest mistakes that we made when we were first starting out. I know Kelly's got a few. Oh, man. Well, when I was starting, I was like 19. So I think I made all the mistakes. I made the like showing up drunk to swim practice mistakes. <laughs> Um, I also, whoops, um, cause I did college try. So, but I did do kind of the classic, like I didn't have the bike handling skills at all. And my aerobic ability way exceeded. Right. I crashed all the time, like constantly. And I wasn't able to eat or drink while I was biking because I couldn't let go of my handlebars. Cause you know, yes, I do remember that. (laughs) Yeah. Right. What about you, Chris? So my big thing was more like clothing related i would try to wear running shorts while riding and i think we all know how that goes um yeah so that was pretty ugly Uh, we won't go into that too much (laughs) (laughs) i would say that i definitely was just too enthusiastic and so motivated to get fit especially from a run point of view i just wanted to get so fast so quickly that i just kept getting myself injured all the time and which was obviously an extremely frustrating experience but yeah uh but yeah some of the funnier ones i definitely have seen people uh putting their helmets on backwards in Mm -hmm. transition running out it's a classic Um, move yeah so but yeah we do see a lot of these things and we do also come across some common misunderstandings too right some of our uh readers or some of the people who are new newer to the sport who uh maybe don't necessarily realize uh the ins and outs of triathlon so uh, and i know chris you 
you used to race ITU, short course uh, triathlon. Um, but obviously there's, there's a lot of people out there who tend to think of triathlon as Ironman. So yeah, yeah. I, I pretty much got to the point where I didn't want to tell anyone what I did, especially when I, you know, people say, Oh, what do you do for work? You know, you're on a plane or something like that. And, and I'd say, well, you know, I'm a professional triathlete. And if they even knew what that was and I didn't have to go through the whole 10 minute, you know, explanation, <laughs> they'd say, Oh, so, you know, what is that? Uh, two point, that's like a, a marathon at the end of a, a super long bike ride. I'm like, well, no, you know, I do a shorter one. It's faster. Um, but you know, whatever. And, and every time they'll go, Oh, well, well someday you'll get to the real triathlon right. someday. You'll like, you know, I'm like, dude, I've been doing this for like six years. I'm on the U S national team. <laughs> and they're like some, someday you'll get to the one where you do the marathon at the end. Like, it's okay. My, my cousin did it. You should talk to my cousin. And I'm like, so by the end of it, I was just like, I don't tell anyone what I do. I just, I don't do anything. <laughs> it's definitely, it's definitely, everybody's always like, oh, I saw that one on the TV in Hawaii. Yeah. yeah. Have you done that one? So the one Hawaii first? one, right? Yeah. And if you haven't done the Hawaii one, they're just like, oh, that's keep, too bad. Keep trying. Yeah. You'll get there, buddy. You'll get there one day. Yeah. Ooh, my favorite when I was in the Hawaii one, which is what everyone in Hawaii calls it. And I was in Hawaii for a while. Uh, I kept running into the people out there for cruises, like off cruise boats. Right. And they were always like, oh, my God, are you doing are you doing that? The, the Iron Man. And then they were like, oh, they let women do the Iron Man. Oh, and I was like, yeah. They're like, why do they call it Iron Man then? I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a fair enough. Good question. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, at first you're probably like, oh, yeah, they let us vote now, too. But then, no, actually valid. Valid point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what um, in your experience, Kelly, have you seen uh, what? have you come across as the, some of the most common mistakes that you see athletes making, you know, some of our readers, uh, during the course of interviews, uh, we obviously come, we obviously have a lot of contact with, uh, with triathletes. What are some of the most common mistakes that you see athletes making? Yeah. I would say like kind of along what Chris is saying. Um, I mean, a lot of what I hear from our readers, from people getting into this work is a lot of times, you know, we get a lot of questions from people who are starting on triathlon. They think they have to do an Ironman. They think they have to train 20 plus hours a week. I get, we get a lot of questions around like, how do I manage that? How do I, how am I supposed to run a hundred miles every week? And bite right, like they just think they have to do crazy things. And that's like you said, how you end up injured. Right. <laughs> right. Definitely. So that's a big, big mistake, big misunderstanding. Like you, you, a triathlon can be anything, right? Like it doesn't have to be a super long distance. It doesn't have to be, doesn't have to be anything. And you don't have to train a certain amount of hours for sure. Um, so that's like a really common mistake. I feel like we see a lot of people make. Yeah. And then another one is, is kind of, I mean, swimming's a really big issue for a lot of people getting into triathlon. Yeah. Uh, even if you know how to swim, it's like how, well, what, what is the deal with this mass start? What is the deal with open water? How do I do that? Um, and that's where I think we see a lot of questions and a lot of issues. And a lot of people, you know, they just go to their pool or they just go to masters and they never really like think about, and then they get there on race day and they haven't thought about open water. They haven't thought about mass starts. They haven't thought of my first triathlon, literally standing on the beach. I was like, Oh, so what is sighting? Oh, <laughs> that's a dangerous time to figure that one out. Yeah. <laughs> but I think if you look at the start line, faces of athletes on the start line, swim start line in you know, most races, uh, regardless of the distance, whether it's Ironman or short course, uh, I think you'll often see a lot of very anxious and scared looking people. And that's the, that's the exact reason why, you know, the, um, people, too many people just go to the pool 
and swim up and down and think that that's going to prepare them, you know, prepare them well enough for, for their race. Right. But, um, Chris, talk to us a little bit about your swim experience. Well, you know, actually I want to piggyback off what you guys are saying, because that's like one of my huge pet peeves <laughs> is triathletes who only swim in the pool. Like the best way to think about that is, all right, you wouldn't just ride on the trainer. Like literally I've never been off the trainer and then go expect to do like a crit. Right. Oh, no, that would you be will horrible. Die. Yeah, yeah, like literally, you will be killed. Um, and I do think triathletes, they just don't spend. I mean, I know a lot of people can't have, they don't have access to open water, and that's, you know, unavoidable. But um, it is crazy to me that people would expect to, like, they put all that training in, you know, all those hours every week, and then to just basically wing it come race day because they haven't spent any time in the open water. Like, that drives me wild. So that's. That's one thing I just see. I mean, like I know <laughs> like my final year as a pro, I did almost every single one of my swims in the open water and I was faster with less mile with less yardage. I mean, there was a lot of experience behind it too, but, um, but yeah, that's, that's a big thing for me. It's like, just get in the open water. Like you don't like it. You're scared of it. You're going to have to get over it. You know, unfortunately, yeah. like, cause that's going to be the reality once you're out in the, in the middle of your race. Um, the other thing that bugs me is, oh wait, this bugs is things me. that bother me. Are we me, just right? like letting that's Chris talk? That's what you're asking, right? Like what, what really annoys Chris? <laughs> Go with no. it, Chris. It was working. It, we, we're enjoying it. Roll with <laughs> well, it. It was misconceptions, right? So, um, so my, my big misconception that I get from even, ex and actually experienced athletes sometimes do this more, is um, they will not take time off when they're feeling external stresses and pressure. Yeah. And, um, I'll talk about this a little bit more later, but you know, we did a big story with Dan Lorang, um, who's literally the best Ironman coach in the world because yes. he had, um, you know, the male and the female winners at Kona last year. And, um, and he says, you know, if you're having a stressful day, you didn't get a lot of sleep, don't do a high intensity, high intensity session. Like, you know, it seems so simple, but 90% of triathletes would just gut through it and they're not going to yeah. get anything out of it. And it's not just like, Oh, I feel fatigued from the last day. It's like, you know, like work is stressing me out. Like that's enough to make you cancel your high intensity session from, you know, at least from what Lorang said. So that, that to me is a, it's fascinating because that's what he has his, you know, world champions do. Yeah. Yeah. That, and that is fascinating. And that's to me, you know, I've been in the sport 15 and 16 years, but that's still something I can still get wrong, you know, especially now working and trying to still train. You know, uh, it's something that Matt Dixon, the coach Matt Dixon, the Purple Patch calls global stress, right? And we all have a finite amount of time, energy, resources. So if you have a lot of stress coming in from uh, work, from work, from family life, whatever, then you're not going to have the same amount of energy available to go kill that VO2 max session. Or if you do, you're going to end up in the red and it's not going to look, you know, your, your recovery is compromised. And it all kind of snowballs, you know, it starts to snowball. And I think triathletes sometimes don't, they're not able to have that 30,000 foot view, get that perspective of realizing that that's what they're, they're in the weeds of that. And they can't sometimes, it's very hard, I think, for pros or age groupers to be able to pull themselves out and say, oh, this is what's happening now. I'm, I'm running on, you know, I'm running on fumes. I'm, I'm overcommitted and I'm trying to do 20 hours of training a week when, or 15 hours of training a week when I don't have 15 hours available. And then, yeah, so recovery suffers, sleep suffers, everything suffers. Um, was Matt the like, one who said, and I use this quote all the time, so I should know he said it, stress is stress. Like, it doesn't matter what kind of, it's one of the famous, one of our popular coaches said it. Yeah, stress is stress. I'm not sure if it's, that's, that's Matt, but yeah, yeah. he, but the, yeah, it's stress is stress is stress, right? So yeah. it's all got to come out of the same, it's all got to come out of the same uh, pot of energy. Right. 
And there's a ton of really interesting research. Um, this is like where, like, this is where I come in. I read a lot. Like, there's a ton of interesting research <laughs> on the effect That's good, of. Because I can't read. So. <laughs> uh, I just look at the pictures. The effect of mental stress on your perception then of effort. Mm. Like, you literally think it's harder. It literally feels harder. Cyclists and runners will like fail at lower levels on tests if they've had to like think really hard. Yeah. Which is crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. Very, very interesting. We could we could definitely already get into the weeds on that, but we'll still keep you know trying to touch on some more generic topics before we go deep diving into weeds. But um, but t- no, but t- I think time management is probably one of, uh, one of the next questions I was gonna uh, gonna pose was about time management and how how tough that can be when you're especially when you're first starting out in triathlon to figure out how to train for three sports whilst balancing all the other demands in life. Um, so yet yeah, and time management is probably, I don't know what, what you guys think about this, but is time management one of the biggest challenges for triathletes, whether you're new and just starting out or whether you're, you know, a seasoned veteran who's been doing it a decade. Um, yeah. Kelly, you've got a busy job. We were talking about stressors. We all kept saying work. What's up with that? <laughs> yeah. That was like the first thing. <laughs> I always wondered if triathletes, you know how we always joke triathletes are really type A? It's like, are we or do we have to become? Because I'm like not a type A person, right? This is a whole podcast topic. <laughs> do you have to be type A to be a triathlete? It, or does it make you? the egg situation, yeah. yeah. But now, I mean, literally on Sundays now, especially with, you have to make swim reservations. So you have to like plot out. So I have to look at my training schedule. I have to plot out like my swim reservations, plot it out around work meetings, plot it out around the stupid weather in Colorado. <laughs> so you have to like plan everything out for the week. And if you mess with that, then it's like, oh my God, it throws off the whole week. You have to have it all plotted out. It is snowing here today after it was 90 degrees yesterday. So that might be why Kelly is a little bit annoyed oh, yeah. by the weather. <laughs> 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 but yes, no, I hear you. I know a lot of people, I know a lot of triathletes who spend their Sunday afternoons baking and cooking every, all their meals for the week ahead and, you know, making sure that, so obviously nutrition is taken, nutrition and fueling is taken care of then um, so that everything else through the week flows relatively smoothly. Here's my number one time management tip then for highly, you know, people have busy jobs and try, they do amazing things with frozen meals these days. It's oh. 2020. <laughs> Oh, you love frozen, I meals. Love frozen meals. What are your favorite brands? Oh, there's all guys, guys. They do it like there's a whole section at the grocery store called like healthy frozen meals. Okay. <laughs> there's like Amy's Kitchen, Evil. There's like a whole brand of vegan ones. It's great. Just go do that. <laughs> well, that's We're not nutrition. About, like Elio's. We're not talking about like 7 no. Eleven. Oh, no. Okay. Okay. Is that like, the nutrition like- ticked off off the a question list? Uh, <laughs> Kelly recommends eating frozen meals. <laughs> but no, I think uh, nutrition is obviously something that we get a lot of questions about. And it's the one thing that can trip people up, especially when they're racing longer distance, when, you know, fueling in a race is is critical, but fueling in and around training as part of recovery is is even more so probably. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, we, we started our Ask Stacey column probably a year ago. And some of the questions that we've had for that, you know, so this is a column for uh, from... So we do a Q&A with Dr. Stacey Sims, the nutritionist and exercise physiologist uh, who's based down in New Zealand. But um, yeah, she is you know, world's leading endurance uh, physiologist expert and nutrition guru who answers our questions. But some of the questions that we get in for her are, you know, they're really interesting to me. You know, people who are really, really quite confused by the sort of plethora of information that's out there now. Um, what do you guys, what do you guys think about the, you know, 
how do you get to, how did you when you were first, first starting out in triathlon how did you navigate this world of fueling and nutrition um and what do you see what do you see now as the biggest problems for new athletes to navigate yeah i gotta say when i tried to move up to half distance um i couldn't like fake it anymore yeah and that was and i was it was so confusing. I just found it just overwhelmingly confusing. Like how, what am I supposed to be eating? Everything seemed to always result in me like vomiting, ending up in the med tent. Like, oh. you know what I mean? Like it was just bad. And so I was like, what am I doing wrong? What is the secret? And I think that's why we get a lot of those questions still is because it is like, what is the secret? What am I supposed to be doing? And then it turns out, of course, it's not actually that complicated. There's not like a secret. It's X number of calories, X number of proteins. It changes a little bit depending on what kind of athlete you are. Yep. But that's about it, right? But when you don't know that, it just sounds overwhelming. Yeah, and I think a lot of it is putting it into practice, you know, in training day in, day out, which is sometimes hard for people to do or, some, or sometimes hard for people to figure out. So that when you do, do come to race and when we do eventually return to racing, uh, that's something that's just well learned and your body and gut are used to what you're putting into it. But um, how, is it with, how is it with short course racing, Chris? What, what kind of role does... Um, fueling and nutrition play there yeah i mean for me like kind of what kelly was saying she said she stepped up to half and it was difficult and i never wanted it to be difficult so i stayed in short course <laughs> Smart. <laughs> I, I hated the fueling stuff um i was always terrible at it i don't know if i ever got it pinned down um i would say the the thing i well for me it was always pizza pizza was success the night before nice um, oh, yeah but but i think that also kind of just taught me that look you know what I'm, especially in short course, when you're going that fast, it doesn't matter a whole ton what you're eating during the race. It matters way more what you ate in the days, the days leading up. Um, if you're doing the same kind of thing, kind of to your guys' point, like during training as you do during racing. Um, my big mistake was like, I buy, you know, like you're a poor pro, you buy like 10 gels or something. And you're like, okay, these are my gels for the next three races or whatever. <laughs> But then I would never want to eat them while I'm training because I'm like, that's a dollar fifty or two dollar whatever, you know, two fifty. Like I don't want to blow my gels now, so it's just like I just won't eat them. And then race day I'll eat them, and that way I can save money. But that's so stupid, right? It's, like it's, that doesn't. I, I actually still do that, Chris. They like discontinued yeah. my favorite gels, and I only have one box. I like, I'm like, no, you could not have one. <laughs> no, yeah, that is race. That is race day gel. That goes in a special jar. Um, but you know, like that doesn't really work very well because, you know, like we were saying, you have to practice, you know, your, your race day stuff. You can't just get out there and wing it, especially in long course, which is why I never did long course. So there you go. My very first Ironman, you know, you're just like listening to whatever anyone tells you. Yes. Sitting down at the race briefing the day before this guy, and this is in Canada. This is like this French Canadian full French accent. He is explaining how the best thing you have to do is you put some fried chicken in your special needs and a joint, Ooh. and it makes the second half of the run so much better. <laughs> what? <laughs> We're going to take a short break, and when we return, we'll do a deeper dive into some of these training specifics. Many of us have heard of supplementing our training with the antioxidant CoQ10 for energy and recovery. And MitoQ is a unique form of CoQ10 engineered to get inside the mitochondria to help create cellular energy and neutralize free radicals. It helps improve recovery, immunity, digestion, sleep, and stress, all of which will help you train better and be healthier. To learn more about the unique formula, independent clinical trials, and athlete testimonials, visit MitoQ.com. That's MitoQ.com. So obviously here we get uh, some unique access to some of the sports uh, leading coaches, athletes, industry insiders. 
Uh, talk to us, Chris and Kelly, about some of the coaches you've interviewed recently who've really piqued your interest. I know, uh, Chris, you've uh, Dan Lorang is a guy that's uh, certainly piqued your interest recently, right? Yeah, so Dan Lorang is like this this mystery man, at least in the U.S. Um, you know, like I, I don't know any triathletes in the U.S. hardly who know his name unless they're super super into like long course racing. Um, and in fact, I've seen Dan at races and I had no idea who he was. I honestly thought he was just like Fredano's buddy or something, which is, you know, I'm not trying to, he's an amazing coach, but you know, he's just, for whatever reason, he's flown completely under the radar in the U S. And, um, so I was just like, look, we gotta, we gotta reach out to this guy. We gotta get someone to interview him. I mean, we look like idiots because, <laughs> you know, like nobody knows anything about him and it's quite frankly our fault as the, you know, American media. So, um, so I had one of our European writers reach out to him. He knows him really well, Nick Busca. And, um, he did this fantastic, you know, feature about him and, um, it was all fascinating. You know, his, just his background is not traditional. Um, but at the end he does these top tips, you know, and I'm thinking it's going to be, you know, like, 10 by hill repeat or, you know, something like that. But it was like, like we talked about before, it was the stress thing. Um, yes, you know, yeah. taking, taking time off because you're stressed. Like, like in my mind, I'm like, no, that's man, man, that's quitting. You know, that's, that's soft, but this is literally the best coach in the world. And he's telling you, this is what I do with my guys and girls. Um, so that was fascinating. And then he had, he did have this other little workout kind of not specific, but like theory that after, like a really hard, intense training day. He does a long aerobic workout the mm. day after. And I'm like, I have never heard that. Like that to me was just fascinating. And, and we didn't dig into it too much, unfortunately. Um, and he did say after that two day block, you take a rest day. Um, but I was always, you know, hard day, easy day, hard day, easy day. And, but you know, who's to say that's what works. It's just kind of what we've done. Um, so that was fascinating to me, especially as someone who doesn't feel that tired. I traditionally never felt tired the day after a race, but it hit me two days after. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. And I don't think, again, I don't know if that's everyone, which I can think is kind of Dan's point, you know, with the stress, you know, things are dynamic, things change. Um, but for me, it was like, that makes sense. I should do two hard days in a row and then take a day off. Like I, I look back and I'm like, man, I wish I'd met Dan Lorang. <laughs> A decade ago. Hey, oh. so that segues nicely into something I thought when I interviewed Coach Ryan Bolton, and I was like, "Dang, I wish I'd met this guy when I started out in triathlon," <laughs> because he has this awesome way, I think, of balancing uh, a ton of academic and scientific knowledge with this real emotional intelligence EQ. Uh, a lot of people call it, which I think the best coaches absolutely have to have. They have to be able to blend the art and science and the craft of coaching. And uh, so, yeah, Ryan was a guest on the the. Uh, fitter and faster show a few a few weeks back and i know chris you've written a book with him too and he's right. and he's done a ton of writing for us uh you know he he often often contributes training content training plans for the magazine and um but yeah super smart guy who coaches a group of elite runners and he coaches a ton of triathletes elite and age group and he's got some really interesting pros under you know uh that he's coaching so um sam long is a is a young guy that i think of as somebody who has a stack you know it stacks and stacks and stacks of potential but and i said that and i said this to sam's face before like he also has the capacity to completely ruin himself but with a coach like ryan on board like, i just think wow that guy is really he could really you know become the next big thing because ryan has this ability to hone in on what somebody needs like physically as well as emotionally and mentally and so seeing, you know, so seeing coaches like that working and, and getting an, you know, access into what they're thinking and what they're, 
training methodology is and the, you know where their brains at it's really I find that very interesting and mm. having access to some of these guys and, and co- you know some of these coaches is is fascinating. I feel like we need well, to uh, wait a second. We need to <laughs> say that Ryan Bolton is coaching our current virtual event, Hawaii from home. Yes. He's one of our lead Hi. coaches setting up weekly workouts to help you get ready for Hawaii from home, which we will include a link to in the show notes. If you would like, you know, to see some of what he's doing, some of his workouts or do the event. Yes. He is our run coach, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. He's the run coach. And, you know, just kind of one other little thing I think that's interesting about both Ryan and Dan is that these are probably not names a lot of our viewers are super familiar with, unless unless you have your copy of my book. Um, <laughs> but, and they're so willing to talk about the stuff that they do. And I think that also speaks to kind of like what Emma Kate, you were saying about how there's an art to it too. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're not guarding their secrets. Yep. You know, they, they feel comfortable sharing everything because I think part of what they know about training is like, look, you know, I've got my guys that I see every day, you know, that I have personal contact with. Yep. And those, you know, like that's where my huge benefit comes in being able to, you know, like you're saying, yep. kind of that feedback, just like the look on their face after a workout. Yep. Like, you know, which is more important than a, you know, a secret workout that they do or something like that. So it's, it's cool. I mean, I think those coaches are really special in that way. They are. In fact, yeah, that also you just saying about the, the look that somebody has, you know, a coach, a coach can tell from like the whites of your eyes or the way that you walk onto pool deck. So Jerry Rodriguez, for example, open <laughs> water swim coach, he always says like, I can tell how you're going to perform in a workout based on how the first few steps you take on pool deck that morning, which has always terrified me, but <laughs> you're like, oh shit, <laughs> the way that I walk anywhere now, I'm like, oh, into the pool. <laughs> hey Jerry, what's that over there? And sprint, just dive. <laughs> but isn't this kind of cool? Like, so, so we, we often think about training as all this science but there's all this whole other level to it that you know some of these coaches bring you know people like ryan people like jerry uh i know matt dixon is very similar um but yeah so kelly any athletes that you know with your podcast the triathlete hour you've had a lot of access to a lot of different uh, pro athletes over the last few months any athletes that you think are taking a pretty unique and different approach to uh training through covid yeah i mean we did talk to sam a few weeks ago and he is going Full steam all the time, all the KOMs everywhere. Yeah. Um, he's pretty funny. Uh, but what I actually was going to say is I we talked to Cody Beals a couple weeks ago. And Cody, if you know Cody, like he's known for being super transparent. He puts all his training logs online. He puts all his budgets online. He puts like, so he you can see like everything he's done. And one of the things that he was laughing a bunch about was he put his training logs up to kind of dispel the notion that all pros are doing like 40 hours a week. And he was laughing about how much everybody rounds up their training hours. <laughs> He's like, oh, you just kind of like round up all your workouts, add in your, like your coffee breaks, plus walking the dog, and then just like add 10%. And that's, you know, your average weekly training, right? Because that's what everybody you gotta says. got to get that chamois time in there, right? right? Like I'm, anytime I'm you were sitting in your chamois. Yeah. Anytime <laughs> you were in your chamois counts as a ride. Anytime you're like sitting in your car, talking yourself into swimming counts as swimming. <laughs> Oh boy, that's a lot of time. Bad workout in your car. I mean, that's still workout time, right? right? <laughs> so he was joking about it because in reality, like he's like, you know, I won Ironman Montreal and set a course record on like 17, 19 hours a week. Like that's actual training time, not yeah. you know. So let's be realistic. Um, so I thought that was like really interesting and really funny because he was really funny about it. So he's really, you know, I thought that was like a really good take. Um, just kind of to be honest, be open. Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's the, that's the interesting thing that some pros or some, and you know, some age groupers too do do 10 to 15 hours a week and are very successful. You know, Rachel Joyce and her, her year after her year coming back after pregnancy, she, 
she literally didn't have the time to do much more than 14, 15, sometimes 16 hours a week of training. You know, and she came back and won a bunch of races and you know, qualified for Kona and had a great comeback year. But um, yeah, no, on nothing more than really an average of 15 hours. So there is this misnomer, I think, that more is more is always better. You know, that's very much the, the philosophy that underpins triathlon training, I think, which can get us in trouble as we've already highlighted but um, what is it uh so dixon matt dixon often says like less is more and then uh my coach you say more is more <laughs> so, <laughs> i don't know if that's a saying yeah. i think we just made it I one think that's just some saying kelly go do more no yeah we um yeah that's that was the whole philosophy more is more there you go more is more what about <laughs> swimming I know that uh, in the obviously over the last few months where pools have been closed and access to beaches, open water has been difficult. We've had, uh, we've seen, and we've heard from a lot of uh, our audience readers who've really struggled with swimming and coming back to swimming after so long out of the water. Because I think swimming is probably one of the probably of the three sports, the one that we see that our readers struggle with the most. Yeah, I mean, EK, I'm struggling. With swimming coming back after the break, I'm still slow now since the break. It's terrible. It didn't make you faster all that time off. No. All that, all those whatever bands on the door frame didn't 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 do a lot for me. Yeah, I think. Um, I mean, it's just the reality is swimming is a, a feel for the water, a technique thing. You gotta like, you gotta be in the water. And so, yeah, a lot of people, even if you were doing band exercises, we're doing core work, we're doing everything else. You're fit enough. You just you're losing, you didn't won't have the technique and the time in the water. And for, you know, a lot of our athletes who didn't grow up swimming, that's just, it's been a challenge now getting back into the water. And so I'm really hesitant for some of these races happening now. If you haven't had some time in the water before a race, yeah. like, and you, you know, don't have a swimming background, you know, let's make sure you're safe. Like, let's make sure you get in the water before that. Because I mean, you know, the athletes who swam for 20 years, like our, our Lauren Brandons we've talked to and stuff, you know, they took four months off. They're going to be fine. Like, yeah. I'll be fine, even though I've been slow. But, you know, if you don't, if you haven't put in years and years and years of swimming and make sure you get back in the water before one of these races coming up now. Cause I just, I do worry about some of these athletes in these big starts now, if you just haven't been in the water. Yeah, for sure. We did do a, a return to return to swim, like a three week plan with Jerry Rodriguez. Uh, when, when, when pools started to open back, you know, a few, well, I guess it was probably a couple months ago now, but, uh, and that was a very gentle three week plan to return you to swimming. Um, and most of that was pool based, but there were obviously open water options if you only had open water. But really, it, he was advising to swim in the pool for three weeks if you had access to a pool before you transition to the open water because you know it's it takes some time you, and you want to be you want to have an element of uh, muscular endurance and swim strength before you get in the open water, and you definitely want to do that with with a swim buddy or a training group or whatever you you have available to you. But yeah, I think. Um, it's very easy to, or it's not very easy, but it's relatively more easy to get back your swim fitness if you have, have all those years of muscle memory and, you know, you've got those years, of the, all the yards under your belt. But if you're new and, you know, like adults, who, you know, people, adults who've learned to swim as adults, so much harder. Um, you can do think, it though, guys. We promise. Yes. <laughs> it's fine. Um, I mean, we have a ton of, and we should link to some of them in our show notes. We have a ton of resources for, you know. Yeah. How getting started swimming, uh, learning to swim as an adult, obviously it is, you know, the biggest obstacle, one of the biggest barriers um, that we see from our readers, from people wanting to get into triathlon. And and it is doable. I mean, we've, we've even had some pros who learned to swim as adults. Yes. Which is crazy. 
Yeah, I find that fascinating. That's that is very interesting to me. They don't become Olympians, but you know, they make it to Kona. Like you can do it. So you can do it. That's Kelly's pep talk there, guys. You can do wow, so much positivity. <laughs> The other interesting or the other um, question that we see a lot of is run mileage. People who are really keen, you know, athletes, especially if they're new to the sport, keen to increase their run mileage, but, you know, doing it without getting injured is so, so hard. Um, I know that's something, Chris, you're obviously a very esteemed runner yourself and run coach. Talk to us a little bit about your experience here. So, Actually, my experience is not going to be very helpful because like Kelly was saying, you but know, if someone who's been, what's that? But keep listening. <laughs> um, you know, if you've been, if like I've been running since I was, you know, very young and I ran in college and stuff like that. So for me to, you know, to, to step away and then come back is not very hard. Um, so my experience will throw that out, but, um, my experience with others, um, I've, I've, so I coach cross country, um, high school cross country, and we've been doing a ton of, um, strengthening, like just feet, ankle, hips, strengthening. Um, and that's something you can do even if you're not out running a lot, you know, if you're working from home, like this is really embarrassing, but I've been doing like single leg suitcase deadlifts every hour, like two or three days a week. And it's so made, like, it's made my hips stronger with that. <laughs> that's where he goes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I disappeared in my single leg suitcase deadlifts, but, um, but it's allowed me to be a lot stronger, you know, just like everything's just feeling more together. So I feel like I have to run a little bit less and we've been doing it with our kids that a similar program, but with some other exercises, um, I'm sure we could probably link to in our show notes as well. Um, and it's, you know, shin pain has gone away, um, all that stuff. And it's not, you know, we've been doing a lot more mileage than normal. And I think that's, that's fascinating to me. Um, but yeah, but again, everyone's different. Kind of my original point was, you know, if you have a, if you have a background where you're swimming a lot and you might have really loose, you know, joints and tendons and things like that, like you're going to need to do more of that kind of like single leg deadlift, ankle strengthening, foot strengthening, things like that. Um, then someone who's, yeah, for instance, been running since they were in college or whatever. And we also did a story a week or so ago about, um, how to increase your volume with, a our weekly, yes. we do like a bi-weekly Ask dear, a coach, dear, dear coach. coach. Yeah. And, uh, and it was about how to up your run volume without getting hurt. So there are like kind of standard rules, you know, like don't increase by too much, like 10%. Don't make your long run more than, you know, a third of your volume for the week. Um, yeah, he had some good tips in there. Um, there was, uh, yes, and only making certain percentage, 20 to 30% of your week, uh, quality, you know, higher intensity, uh, workout. So there were some really solid takeaway tips in that piece. That was by, uh, coach Mike Ricky. Um, that was our last, yeah, last week's dear coach column, which we'll link, link to in the show notes too. So, and I'm going to add that this is another thing we've done a bunch of stories about quarantine injuries. So as everyone's at home right now and working at home, you get off and you start trying to bang out a whole bunch of miles and you end up not, not speaking from experience. Kelly, <laughs> honesty hour now. What was Come your on. quarantine injury? Oh quarantine my God. Injury. I've been injured for like, I couldn't run for like four months because I have all that, but we did, we have also done a bunch of stuff about that and talked to some experts in PT mm-hmm. and PTs about kind of, you know, you're sitting and you're in like a weird at home position and you're, you know, a lot of hours on zoom, you need to make sure to get all that loosened up and moving before you just start banging out the miles. So. Yeah. And actually that just, that brings me to thinking about, uh, again, our Hawaii from home, our strength workouts that we've had uh, strength coach Erin Carson doing, she's been doing like 20, 25 minute guided workouts where she runs you through so much of the mobility and activation that you need 
having, if you've been sat down for a long time or if you've been sat, you know, even from biking, you know, that position, you know, and, and running a lot, um, some of the basic sort of activation and mobility that is really, really key to keeping injuries away. You know, even if you're not trying to increase mileage, but just even if you're just trying to get the best out of your workouts and recover well, I think, um, I guess that leads us nicely to another topic of the topic of strength and conditioning, which is always a, a tough one because triathletes are like, well, I've got a swim, bike and run. Mm-hmm. Do I need to make time for strength? I don't have time for strength. I mean, what do you uh, what do you hear from our readers on that, Kelly? Yeah, I mean, we get that question a lot. Like, how do I? I think we did another dear coach about this a couple of weeks ago. Like, how do I fit strength in? Um, and when we did our triathlete live with Aaron Carson, people want to know, you know, how many days a week, how much, and what we routinely hear from strength coach experts is more frequency, even if it's less time. Yeah, like fifteen yeah. minutes every day is better than like one big session a week. Um, Something I've been kind of following for a few years now and that we recently did a story on that was like one of our most popular stories was like common strength mistakes that endurance athletes make. And a lot of the points he made were things I've been like listening to for a few years here with research on heavy lifting and like functional strength movements, like going big. Yeah. Um, but you have to get your form right or you will get injured. Let's like caveat that. Like you don't want to just go big by yourself in a gym, you know, just start throwing around some, some weights. Yeah. You have to work up to it, but, but that actually does have a lot of explosive power help then on the back end. Um, It's a really interesting kind of, it's it's easy to screw it up. So I'm like, don't just go nuts guys, but there are some really interesting uh, mistakes that he pointed out people make and that, you know, some, some workouts you can kind of, you know, squats, deadlifts, these are key, mo- key movements, um, for, for athletes. Yeah. And I think some of those movements are, they are, they underpin, you know, if you can deadlift well, then I think, or yeah, and you can squat well, uh, obviously, yes, you need to be, you need to have a coach, you need to have a professional, somebody who can help guide you to learn technique without load to start with you need to learn the movement without load and then load it up and i think some of those movements will will guide you, you know, you're you're building a body that will then be strong robust durable and resilient enough to put through all the miles that you want to put through your body swim bike and run um without some of that foundation it's kind of like trying to build a house without foundation you know um, but yeah, don't do that. Don't do that at home without the guidance of a professional. <laughs> don't do that at home, guys. <laughs> I will also say, because um, I mean, this is like into just kind of personal things I've liked and followed over the years. I have found kind of explosive strength has helped when I haven't been able to do as much run volume, like box jumps. Um, and that's like backed up by a lot of science. Box jumps do this isn't just Kelly making shit up. Like box jumps can, you know, explosive work, pilometrics can really help when you aren't able to just do a lot of run mileage. For sure. Mm-hmm. I, t- I completely agree. I, I, I had some of my best seasons off of big winters of strength training and, you know, big work in the gym, plyometrics, that kind of explosive stuff, which isn't the sort of stuff that you necessarily associate with triathlon training, no. but it mixes it up. And we are going into that period of time of the year now, you know, the winter off season, where it's the time to do that kind of work. Is there an off season this year, EK? Oh, I'm going to write a feature on this very soon. So stay tuned, folks. Keep questions. <laughs> Let's close it out with some crazy questions that we've, what's the craziest question that you've uh, fielded, Kelly? Well, I mean, the very common one that we always get is like, should you wear underwear under your cycling shorts? Which to be fair, I also had this question when I started because 
kind of make, it makes sense, right? You're like, of course you should wear underwear under your site. Like, why not? It would get dirty then. Um, but don't do it, guys. Don't do it. It's like bad chafing. It's very uncomfortable. <laughs> Just like go with us on this. Like you'll embrace it. It'll be fine. Um, obviously, clipping in is another crazy one I've gotten a few times. I was making fun of EK earlier <laughs> because she used to do the thing where you won't ride with one foot clipped in and one foot not in case you're- True story. Right. To stop your, this is a common thing we hear because people are worried about falling because we all fall. We all fell when we were learning how to clip in. We did. You just have to like get used to it until it becomes second nature. Yeah. But don't ride a whole ride with just one foot clipped in. That is how you will get injured. <laughs> it's a fine line. Yeah. You'll find injury on either side, bookended by injury. <laughs> I did used to do that. That's true. And I was also scared of reaching for my water bottle yes. out of my cage from my bike whilst I was moving. Uh, I have to stop my bike and pull my water bottle out. But that was back in 2005. I've come along. I actually still ride with a lot of people who do that. Then it's fine. But <laughs> you got to make sure you eat enough that guys, you don't just like wait to eat like once an hour. So. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, any more crazy zany uh, stories from readers that you uh, want to add, or are you? Uh... I think that's it for me. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> most most of my questions are like really gear specific because I do so much of the gear stuff. Yeah, um, people are smart enough to know not to ask me questions about training. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Eat pizza, keep running. Right. <laughs> Don't wear running shorts while you ride your bike. Cool. Chris, Kelly, thank you so much for joining us this week. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us, Kelly and Chris, and thank you for listening. Be sure to tune in for our next show. It'll be an interesting one with sports psychologist Jeff Trosh. If you haven't already, please subscribe to our podcast and rate and review us. It helps more people find our show. Until then, happy training. Happy training.